Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you're listening to Gaelic Games Europe's weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. Very warm welcome to this Sunday's show. We have the first of a two-part special with inter-country referee David Goff. Of course, David is from Meath, but he's from Slane, so he's almost from Loud, so we can cut him a wee bit of slack. Now, David is going to tell us just what life is like under COVID in Dublin, how it's affected his refereeing career, how important it is to understand the rules and for parental and coach behaviour on the sidelines. We're going to talk about a range of issues in this show and of course we're going to end off with just how important it is to belong. Now, the interview was made before the latest restrictions regarding COVID were brought in, so to find out more about that we're going to have a little bit of news. In the latest attempt to deal with coronavirus in Ireland, the government have introduced a five-level living with COVID-19 plan. It will be in force for the next three weeks. Now, the country as a whole is at level two, whereas Dublin is at level three. What's that mean for the capital? Well, no outdoor matches can take place unless they are between professional elite intercounty or senior club sides. Amateur teams can have non-contact training in pods of no more than 15. Dublin teams cannot travel outside to play or to train and vice versa. Of course, gyms and leisure centres and swimming pools will remain open. However, they will have the protective measures in place and there will be individual training only. In Donegal, footballers have tested positive for COVID and the Galway Senior Hurling Championship semi-final has been postponed. As Slovenia's Tadej Pogacar motored his way to victory in the penultimate stage of the Tour de France yesterday and of course the yellow leader's jersey, Ireland's Sam Bennett will most likely be green jersey winner later on today. He of course has a 55 point lead over Slovakia's Peter Sagan and he will be the first Irishman to claim the Mayo Verde since Sean Kelly in 1989. And finally in golf's US Open, Ireland's Rory McIlroy is just six shots off the lead after a 268 in his third round. He is going into the final day chasing 21-year-old Matthew Wolf, who is on five under par, and second place Bryson DeChambeau, the very lately muscled American. And now we're off to Dublin to chat with David Goff. Okay, I'm delighted to welcome on to this Sunday's game, the Premier Whistler of Ireland. Uh, even, he's a good guy, even though he's from Meath, Mr. David Goff. David, a very warm welcome to the show. Hi, Alan. Thanks very much for having me on. Yes, I'll, I'll say this one thing. I mean, we had a lot of sun here in uh, Russia and Moscow, but you look well tanned. I mean, the weather is that good in Ireland? It's not that the weather is that good, but any opportunity I've had, I've been out the back garden sitting in the sun. I mean, we've been in complete lockdown here. Sorry, my screen is gone. I'm back. Um, we've been in lockdown here, as you know, the same as, as everywhere else. And uh, I have sallow enough skin, so it doesn't take much for me uh, to, to, to uh, tan. So, um, no, I haven't been on the bed. There are a few lines, so I'm not going to disturb anyone by showing them. But, um, yeah, I have enjoyed what little bit of sun we've had in Ireland over the past couple of months. It, it must be fairly strange at home because we were speaking to lots of people in Ireland, a lot of them based outside of Dublin, but you're up in Dublin. So it must be sort of strange in the city centre at the minute. Yeah, it, it, it's really strange. Um, I, I live about a 10 minute cycle from uh, Dublin city centre. Um, I f- don't use the bus anymore. I don't use public transport because it's not really a necessary journey. If you do go on it, you have to wear your mask. God knows what sort of surfaces you're touching. 
So I would cycle into the city centre. City centre probably, I, I wouldn't have the figures to give an accurate uh, number of people that are in the city centre, but it's certainly not busy. That's anecdotal evidence. Um, people are walking around, some with masks, some not with masks, but everybody is wearing masks indoors. The whole situation around uh, restaurants and, and, and pubs is quite strange at the moment. It's nice to be able to go in and have a meal for 90 minutes or whatever it is with your glass of wine too, if you can, if you can fit them in and, but then you're finished and an average Irish person's night to end after their meal before they can go and have a few pints in a pub is, is quite strange. And, you know, maybe someone is, is, is good enough at planning and he's booked somewhere, another table in a pub afterwards, but then you're, you're buying an extra meal and you've just had a three course meal and the whole thing is just, it's all of it strange. And, and, uh, you know, it's put a dampener on people's social lives. Um, I don't have friends calling around to the house anymore. I, I have one housemate and he's the only person I see apart from um, a couple of neighbours go to the shop once a week. It's, it's a pretty bleak existence. Um, I don't like to call it the new normal uh, because I don't think it's normal uh, at all. But it's just, I suppose, the start of the process of learning to live with this uh, virus at the moment. And, you know, we're all learning. And, and, and as time moves on um, things are changing so are protocols so is our knowledge of of, of the virus so hopefully uh, things will continue to improve in, in in small ways over the coming months talking about the protocols and the restrictions of course a lot of people are up in arms about uh first there was only a few um fans let in to watch um, or spectators into stadiums and now it's cut off altogether to zero does that make the referee's job easier or harder Certainly for me, it makes it easier. I don't have to listen to um, what's coming from, from the sidelines. And, and let me tell you, when I'm in Crow Park in the stadium of 80,000 people, no matter what's been shouted at me, I don't hear it. But if I'm down in Mead on a Saturday evening refereeing a championship match and there's only 50 people at it, I know exactly what's been shouted at me. And uh, I, I'm, I'm used to it now and there's not much shouted at me. But when I was definitely younger, learning the trade, um, it might get in on you a little bit. But it certainly is a lot easier. But the GAA have done a fantastic job in their return to play protocols. And I, I would have to say I have probably been one of the hardest people on the GAA in relation, not to their protocols, but I, I just point blankly refused to involve myself with Gaelic games because I felt it was an unnecessary activity. I'm a volunteer in the association. Um, I wasn't putting my umpires at risk or myself at risk for a number of reasons and, and pulled out of it. Um, but on the back of the very successful uh, cool camps campaign, which was ran where over 71,000 children successfully completed weeks of cool camp there at the end of the summer with only one positive test, which could not be traced to the actual camp. I then felt that um, it was safe to return. There was a question asked of the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, Ronan Glynn, about um, Gaelic Games practices on the field. And he said, OK, it's not a zero risk environment, but it is an extremely low risk environment. And when he said that, I thought, OK, I'll go back. And I've I've been refereeing Gaelic Games um, for underage in Mead for the past um, three weeks. And I've just thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, The no spectator thing, it's a bit different, but... Certainly for children, I'm a huge advocate of it because it means the children get to play football without mom and dad shouting at them, telling them what to do, who to mark, where to go. They're just playing and they're enjoying it and it's fun again. So I see the benefit of it. GAA is definitely not the worst of sports for these kind of um, you know, parental... Well, it's abuse a lot of the time. Like when they're like roaring shouting when they should be leaving it to the coaches. 
Um, do you think that maybe this will give the GAA a chance to reassess and maybe look at the game's development, especially for youths? Maybe it's better to have kids play behind closed doors, or do you think that's maybe a bit too blank and a bit too unfair? That's a bit too blank because, you know, when a child scores a fantastic point, the, the first instinct is to turn around and see if mom or dad are watching. Unfortunately, mom and dad currently have their heads stuck in the mobile phone, updating themselves on the latest social media. That, that's a huge uh, problem at Gaelic Games at the moment. What I would like to see is silent sidelines and the use of mobile phones removed. Um, because if you're bringing your kid to a game for 40 minutes, you know, encourage him and offer him or present him with the attention that he or she needs. The um, whole idea of the silent sidelines is, is, is wonderful. And you asked about game development. The games development department in Crow Park has not stopped working during this pandemic. They have done a huge amount of uh, reassessment of all their internal programs within, within the different departments. And they're doing a huge uh, revamp of, of games development. And it's, it, it's fantastic to see that it's happening. But definitely children. I'm, I'm a massive advocate of, of, of children. Um, 100% of the children playing 100% of the time. As a primary school teacher, I, I know the value of, of small-sided games. This 15-a-side, you know, and 10 subs is, is not worth it. Let's have a 9-a-side game, uh, you know, whatever else um, it, it is after that. Two 9-a-side games with two subs. But that children get on, um, onto the field. You know, if you've, if you've 22 players, let's play two 11-a-side games. This idea of it having to be 15-a-side, no all of the children, all of the time, immersed in the experience of playing Gaelic games. There is nothing worse than to see or hear a child come home on a Saturday morning and he comes into me on a Monday morning and I say, how did your match go at the weekend? Well, I didn't get to play. That is heartbreaking because he was a substitute. And that's why there's drop-off and there's such heartache and, and issues around, around participation in, in, in Gaelic games. Listen, we're, we're wandering away down a rabbit hole that I, you know, I sort of well, hadn't planned to go down, but it is something that's a, it's a real bugbear of mine is that, you know, I'm sure you grew up with it and saw the same as like whenever it comes to the championship. This is, only, this is only for kids. This is also for seniors as well. Then the good players come back and they, they train like hell for two weeks before the championship. Do you think that there needs to be a lot of education put into coaches to say, not just that whoever trains plays, but also that... There should be that, that there should be rotation, you know, to, to get kids on and off and to support them the whole way through rather than to sort of have a, a, a very strong bench to throw on. It really comes down to the coach's mentality, I feel. And, and we look at it in two areas. First of all, if the coach has a win at all costs mentality, the child who has been struggling away might be the best player on the team, but has turned up for every training session because he enjoys it he's not going to get looked after um, because if the coach wants to win at all costs, he's going to put on the player that might play soccer. And in fairness, that's okay. He plays soccer and he arrives late to the game, uh, uh, you know, on a Saturday because he's been playing soccer Saturday morning because that's his preference. Totally fine. But the coach then removing the child who, who, who has been there, you know, every week playing and training is, is, is quite uh, unfair. And then the coaches themselves need to look at their morals and values and to be a good coach, uh, like to be a good referee or a good player, you have to have a very sound set of morals and values so that you understand uh, who you are as a person and where you're coming from. Because if you have sound morals and values, that will help you make uh, the correct decisions um, when, when you're faced with them, uh, no matter what the circumstance is. Dragging kids off the field and abusing them because they, 
they you know they missed the score or whatever it is. I mean, we all had those traumas from childhood. Whereas, like, why did you miss the goal? Well, it was I didn't intend to miss it. I actually wanted to score the goal so I could celebrate. But on that staying kind of the youth section is something we mentioned before we come on air. Um, that in the northwest board, the old northwest board of Dublin. They had a scheme where young uh, under-16 players would go back and referee under-10s, under-11s. And I took part in it and I absolutely adored it. Okay, the few quid was handy. You know, uh, it was pounds at the time. Not pounds, shillings, it was pounds and pence. Uh, and it was, <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to clarify that. Um, I don't know what shillings are. You're going well past my timeline. I think. And <laughs> thank you very much for joining us today, David. We will... Okay, no, sorry. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> So anyway, I I, uh, I I took part in it and I loved it. And one of the things I took out of it was how to manage a game as a coach and as a player, how to manage the referee, how to manage the players, and also seeing, you know, kind of try to be fair as well to players because you, you start to understand and see where like a, a collision could take place or a tangle of legs and so on because it's obviously moving slower. That's now gone to another level within Dublin, for example, with the Young Whistlers programme. Yeah, so um, Dublin have a number of programs in relation to uh, to refereeing for underage games. So they have their primary whistlers, which is involved with the primary schools of coming a month school. Those children referee blitzes within their school, and they're often offered the opportunity to referee the halftime games in Croke Park. That then extends to the Young Whistlers program uh, run by Dublin County Board, where they get students from about the age of, of, of 16. I want to say transition year in Dublin. I'm not 100% sure of, of the actual date. But those um, young people, both boys and girls, are trained up in the rules of Gaelic games and they're invited to um, have the opportunity to referee goal games, which will be under 7s, 8s, 9s, 10s, 11s <coughs> and 12s, um, the goal games uh, um, model of games within Dublin. So for, for argument's sake, you could have a child in... Um, in we'll say Ballymun, and he's told he's refereeing a goal games match in uh, Nafina. He hops on his bike, cycles down the road 10 minutes, and he does two matches in the morning, and he gets 220 euros. So he gets 40 euros for his, his morning's work, and all he has to do is put a euro stamp on, on his two reports to send back to the county board. And it's a wonderful way of introducing uh, young people to refereeing. It's a wonderful way of uh, making them aware of the rules of Gaelic football, but it's also an opportunity for them to earn a bit of money and, and, and have to have a little bit of independence. Dublin County Board certainly offer a huge support to these uh, young people. And um, some of them have come through um, from their underage uh, years to be some of the top inter-county referees at the moment. Uh, certainly, I can name three in hurling in Dublin. Um, just this past year, I was fortunate enough to launch this same course for the first time ever in Mead, where we're now trying to replicate what Dublin has done um, in hope that we can produce the same uh, quantity of inter-county referees um, coming, coming through our ranks. Again, it, it, it doesn't surprise me because, uh, of course, John Horan was involved with Nafina and organising the referees, like Desi Farrell, for example. Like he was refereeing these young games, and of course, moving the whole way through. So, kind of, it's from little acorns it grows, and I hope it means the same. In refereeing, I mean, people will say, like, why would you want to, to referee? What, what motivates you? It's either you want to get abuse from the sidelines, abuse from players. Why, why be a referee? I mean, what, what would it. Apart from 40 quid, why would they want to take up refereeing? What's, what's important about it? Well, well, the big misconception is that we're, we're control freaks and that we, we love power and we're on a power trip. I don't know where that comes from. That's just 
uh, throwaway comments that people think are going to annoy you. They don't even bother me now at this stage. Refereeing is a huge challenge. It's an, an immense challenge. That small little rule book that is produced every year, and let me be clear about that. If you've read the 2019 version, you're not up to date because a 2021 comes out in April, a new one comes out in April 2021 every year because of the ever-changing nature of, of our rules because of Congress. It is an incredible challenge to become so well-versed in the rules that you're able to apply them, understand them at such a high level um, where I'm at, certainly to compete at, at, at inter-county level in such a high pressure environment. But even if you just take it back down to a Saturday morning refereeing an under eights game and scenarios will happen throughout that game that you will not know the exact wording of the rules to because maybe you're not well versed in the rules or you're ignorant. Uh, ignorant, by the way, I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean a lack of education of, of the rules. And most people's um, knowledge of the rules comes from teachers, former players, former coaches, parents, pundits. Very few people can say, well, actually, I have my knowledge of the rules from the rule book. And that is the only place you can get your knowledge of the rules for. It is an extremely difficult book to read. It's an extremely difficult book to understand. And it's even more difficult to implement. So it's a massive challenge for anyone to take up the whistle and to control a game in accordance with all those playing rules. Again, I agree with you because, I mean, the, the rules have changed since 30 odd years ago when I was refereeing. Looking at it, the, I mean, the, I remember there was a ball dropped in. There was a guy standing in the square. A ball dropped into the net from a, from a, from a, a well. Ball was crossed in and dropped into the net. Immediately, I was like, "That's a square ball." Is that correct? He didn't touch the ball, but the ball dropped into the net. He was standing in the square when the ball came in. Well, is it? Um, provided he hasn't made an interference uh, or not, and that's the question you're asking. But that's irrelevant. That's only if the ball hits the crossbar and comes back out and goes back in. In the case of the player being in the ball before or in the small rectangle before the ball arrives. And you're talking here from a set play when the ball is stopped from a free kick, a 45-hour sideline ball. The player may not be in the small rectangle before the ball. That's it. If he touches it or if he doesn't touch it. Once he's there, it's a free the opposite direction. The only time it wouldn't be a free is if the ball is high enough to go over and drop over the bar. He's provided no, 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 no real, um, I suppose obstacle there but once he's in the small rectangle sorry it's a free out straight away yeah this is something that happened we were playing a tournament last, well last may in prague and the referee was awarded and said no that's actually a square ball and some guy who started in shouting i played i played county i played senior championship last year in tyrone i know what that is like no it's a square ball for me it was very very obvious but it just goes to show that how guys are educators and also their experiences and also how referees apply the rules. Do you think that there is that kind of difficulty that ref different referees apply the rules differently? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it because, very simply, we are all educated in the rules um, of the game. Now, I wouldn't say educated in the same way. Depending on the type of tutor you get, you're educated differently. But we're all trained in the rules. The fascinating thing about refereeing, the different application of the rules is down to people's own life experiences, their personalities, and who they are as people. I have different life experiences to some other inter-county referees. What I might feel might be uh, disrespectful or abusive language or threatening language, 
another referee might just say, well, sure, I hear that every day of the week at work. That's, that's not disrespectful. Or I've come across that before. And, and different referees interpret different scenarios differently because of their personalities and life experiences. So even though the rules are the same for us all, our implementation of them is always going to be different. And that's why it's so difficult to get consistency among, among referees. Do you think that in many cases, players are allowed away with too much bad language or coaches, for example, because they, they, they see that it's normal? Depending on uh, the referee, certainly when David Goff is refereeing, you won't get away with it. Okay. Uh, I don't miss much. Uh, my umpires don't miss, miss much. The first sign of it and you're gone. You don't even get a warning. I, I, I'm not into a warning system. There is no warning system in the GA, in the rules. The rules are very clear. Threatening, abusive, provocative language, language of an anti-inclusion, homophobic, racist, sectarian or anti-inclusion uh, uh, matter uh, and their sanctions in, in relation to that. So it happens once you're gone and, and, and that just cuts it out um, very, very, very quickly. Uh, a classic example was I was refereeing an under-13s game in, in, in me about two years ago now. And gave a free kick and I got absolutely lit on by a, a manager on the sideline. It was the most obvious free kick for me. It's a child's game. It's not overly taxing. Um, and I just stopped the game. I walked over to the sideline. And as I'm walking over to the sideline, the manager is taking his glasses out of his pocket and putting them on. And he goes, oh, Jesus, David, I didn't know it was you. <laughs> and I said, thanks very much. You can just stand outside for the rest of the game. And the game didn't restart. And it's an embarrassing enough walk if you have to walk the whole way around the field and outside the gate. And, and that's what needs to be done. Uh, I don't want to say it's the referee's fault that abuse exists in, in Gaelic games. It's not. Um, players, coaches and mentors need to look at themselves first. But if referees do not call it out for what it is, it facilitates the abuse and it allows it to exist within the games. And, 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 and that's the double edge to that sword. So the players, mentors and, and, and management need to, and spectators need to look at themselves first but also the referee has to stand up and call it out when it does happen as well. That's a, a brilliant standpoint and very, very true because it's, it's something that I, I dealt with not too long ago in, in Russia where there were you know, fans abusing a player. The player gave, gave them the middle finger and the fans were all in uproar. How dare he do that? And I was thinking, well, hold on. You're calling him all the names under the sun and him showing you the middle finger is wrong. Do you think that there needs to be cop on from the, the spectators as well, because, I mean, their abuse is going to fuel the abuse of coaches and players. Unfortunately, the playing rules of Gaelic football don't deal with spectators. So there's very little we can do. But this is the interesting thing. I don't know if, if, if your, your listeners will have watched the New Gales documentary that was on RT last night in relation to the um, players who were born in foreign countries who are now inter-county players in, in Ireland. There is a rule. A power, not a rule, but a power of uh, a referee. And the referee may terminate a game because of outside interference. Now, outside interference is not defined. If I feel in the middle of a match that a child, an adult, or someone is uh, being abused because of his race, his sexuality, his uh, ethnicity, or his um, religious beliefs, I can terminate the game because I would feel that is outside interference. That is the only rule that covers me within that stance. Otherwise, it only governs the players and managers in the pitch and just on the, on the edge of the white line. 
Because we, we dealt with that and as part of a committee here about anti-discrimination for the World Cup uh, for 2016 and 17, working with them and up until 18 with the World Cup here in Russia. And they had the three warning system, which is there in soccer, whereas, you know, they, they, the announcement is made, please stop this, please stop this. And then the third time, then the referee, I think second time the referee takes the players on the field and third time, then it's match over. They've never yet pulled the trigger on that. Do you think we're going to get to that case in the GAA where that could happen? Oh God, I hope not. I hope not. I, I hope that Irish um, people and GA fans in particular are of a more wide-ranging mindset than, than what you might see um, from soccer fans. Um, I think for the most part, um, they are respectful. They are able to sit together in the stadium without having to be segregated. All right, things can get a little bit heated at times, but for the most part, people walk away, enjoy the match, and and are able to say, well, look, at, we'll have another crack at it next year if we've lost or are happy to go away winning. Uh, I don't think um, because of the nature and the personality of, of the Irish persona that we'll ever get to that. But that's not saying it might not happen, that we shouldn't have the protocols in place just in case that it, it, it does happen. Again, I, I agree with that fully because last year we were at the, the Limerick Kenny Lauren Hurling semi-final with a team from Russia. And they were looking and in shock that fans were sitting together because quite a few of them would have gone to soccer or watched soccer and they're like, how can the fans all sit together and not like battle the heads of one another? Uh, how do you explain that? I think it, it, it is encapsulated best in the GAA's latest slogan, the hashtag where we all belong. It is a culmination of years of hard work of voluntary people across the country to create the culture within the GAA, uh, of, of, of the GAA being a, a place literally where everyone in the community belongs. Um, where everyone is included, where everyone is welcome and where everyone is encouraged to be a lifelong member of the association, not just a playing member, but a lifelong member of the association. And it is in that spirit that people can go and sit together and enjoy the spectacles of our matches that are wonderful occasions and enjoy them for what they are, volunteers and amateur players playing to the best of their abilities for the entertainment of, 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 of the crowds and for the passion of their either club, county or parish. As the halftime whistle blows on our chat on this Sunday's game with David Goff, of course, we'll be back next week with the second part. So until next Sunday, take care of yourselves and each other. Mm-hmm.